Welcome to another episode of A People's Theology. I'm the host of A People's Theology, Mason Menega. In this episode, I talk with Kevin Garcia. Kevin is the author of Bad Theology Kills, Undoing Toxic Belief and Reclaiming Your Spiritual Authority. Kevin is also a spiritual director, life coach, and creative. Also, musically featured throughout this episode is Alabama Deathwalk. Alabama Deathwalk is an indie rock project from Texas. You can get connected with Kevin and Alabama Deathwalk and their work in the links in the episode description. If you're a fan of A People's Theology, it would bring me no greater joy than if you gave the podcast a five-star rating and review. Tell me what you like about the podcast. Also, if you feel so inclined, please support my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash There are multiple tiers with wonderful rewards, including papers I write to even a book club. Enough of my rambling. Enjoy more inspiring and liberating theology. Today I have the wonderful, marvelous, mad madam, Kevin Garcia. How are you doing, Kevin? Spanking, baby. Because when do babies get spanked when they've been bad? I'm gonna have to edit the fuck out of this podcast. Episode. I'm just kidding. No, I'm doing great. Um, I'm having a I'm having a great time. Um, it's Tuesday, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, got a lot of great things done. I'm having a great time. Great. Um, yeah. So thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great way to end my day, honestly. I feel honored. Well, so you do lots of things in the world, Kevin. You podcast, you've got a great YouTube channel, uh, and you just create, you're a writer, you just create amazing things in the world, and you just are yourself a wonderful, creative human being. Uh, so with all of that, though, who is Kevin Garcia to Kevin Garcia? Who am I to myself? See, now I feel like I'm going to... Like I'm, I'm about to go Ramdas on you a little bit. I'm just like, please do, please do. I really kind of have understood myself recently. I'm just like, I'm truly, I really do actually believe that I am, you know, Holy Spirit, God in flesh, because I think there's no difference between spirit and matter. Mm. And I have just been leaning into what, like, yeah, I'm, I'm the person who's in charge of making this body feel good. And so when I'm thinking about who I am to myself, it's uh, I was like, uh, I was like, I am I am God to my body, which means I am the one who's in charge of loving it, sustaining it, making sure it feels good and has having a good experience. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't does that, I don't even know if that makes any fucking sense. But that's just kind of what I've been jamming on recently. That's Ram Dass. It's not supposed to. Yeah. In, in a more practical sense, how I would identify to the world is digital pastor i actually really do like that title a lot mm -hmm. i used to co recoil from the idea of being a pastor but it's just like nah apparently that's what we're doing out here and uh i'm content creator uh, trying uh, trying to be a community organizer curator and i'm somebody who's got a book and a podcast and some clothing designs we're trying to like maybe work with some queer folks to make more shit like that happen and uh spiritual coach home cook amateur home cook and uh dog mom and homeowner by the way don't forget oh, the yeah. most important part yeah let's identify myself by the fact that somehow by the graces of god i um moved into kind of a i, I mean for like, for somebody who just five years ago like was making 300 dollars a month 
I'm shocked at where I am right now. So shout out to the community for lifting us up, baby. Wonderful. Well, like you mentioned, you you have a book out and it's called Bad Theology Kills. It's an absolutely incredible book. And I know that the book is in a lot of ways a, a really a memoir of your life, but you're also a really incredible student. You recently graduated with your master's in theology. Congratulations, snaps all around. Thank you. But what was something that you learned maybe theologically or factually as you were writing Bad Theology Kills? I honestly think I lucked out because by the time I decided to self-publish my book, I kind of had to like, I finally decided, okay, I'm going to write the book that I want to write, that it wants to be and stop worrying about what I think it should be um, or what somebody or a publishing house is going to publish. And once I did that, it was like no holds, a little bit more no holds bar. And mm -hmm. so I had it, you know, I was going through my first year of seminary as I was re redoing it. And then I was going into my third semester third into fourth and final semester as I was finishing up. So really, uh, I was exposed to a lot of womanist theology and a lot of post-colonial um, Asian, post-colonial Asian feminist theology, um, like with Do Kwok Pilong. Do you know Dr. Kwok? I do. Oh, my incredible, God. Incredible theologian. Yes. And also just like so the kindest human. And so mm. like I've heard her preach a couple times. Phenomenal. Um, and I also think that my history teacher, um, Haruko Ward, Dr. Haruko Ward, she taught the history of Christianity. And I was like, oh, mm. so th that really kind of like got my head spinning. I was like, okay, so what was Christianity pre-colonialism, pre-empire? Mm. And that was really like where a lot of my research into like mysticism and what did the early church believe that led me to all these beautiful theories and hagiographies and, you know, legends and also just like different kind of like folk religion that kind of started out. And then also just like you know, recognizing that Christianity actually started in Africa mm. and not in Europe. What a fucking wild thing, huh? You know, oh. shout out to the Nestorians. You were the real ones. So I think the thing that I loved and I think was like the driving thing I kept coming back to was something that I learned from Willie J. Jenkins, a black liberation theologian. He was telling the story about him and his mama out in the field because his mom was a sharecropper. And he said that a white Methodist minister came up to them and invited them to church. And it was just, and she was like, well, thank you, but I'm, I'm the pastor at the, the Baptist church up the road. <laughs> and it was like, this man's imagination did not even consider the fact that this black woman and her child could have been a part of the beloved of God already. Mm-hmm. And so it was, and he talked about the diseased, um, the diseased moral imagination and the diseased social imagination where we, you know, we don't see what we're not taught to see. And it would be like, um, you know, if we're going to keep naming names, Audre Lorde talks about the mythical norm. And that really, I think, um, learn, like seeing how all of these things intersected and like, I was like, ah, so it's like not, you know, in the same way that, you know, we're, 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 we're taught to see whiteness as the default. We're, sought, we're taught to see straightness and cisgenderness and able-bodiedness and a certain kind of thinness. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all these mythical norms out there that keep us locked up, that keep us hurting ourselves, that are killing us. And so um, in the book, I was like, all right, I need to tackle some things. I think the other thing I learned that was really interesting was doing a lot of the research around the U.S. And, like U.S. guns, military, and arms, and like oh. 
pointing that out as um, it's in a later chapter, the one about blood uh, called the blood sacri- uh, blood sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And it's talking about basically how gun violence first affected me, how it's affecting us on a systemic level. And then I added an extra part about Black Lives Matter um, in the second edition. So that, those are all things that you sort of learn, you know, factually and theologically and everything. But what did you learn about yourself as you wrote the book? Something I learned about myself, and I think it kind of is summed up on the very last page of the book, is that I needed to write this book to understand that I no longer needed permission to actually do the thing I'm here to do, which I think is to like teach a better word, teach mm. like there's a better way to be a person of faith or a Christian if you want to be Christian. I think it was really like I, I, I let go of the fear of not, of, of, of not being a part of anything. Like, it was really just like, I, I don't need to call myself a Christian if it doesn't resonate. And maybe some days I am, and maybe some days I'm not. I would even go as far as to say is that, like, I don't like identifying as a Christian. Like, the same way that, like, Maya Angelou didn't like. She says, like, I'm, I'm practicing. I'm trying to figure out how to be one. So it's like, if, if other people identify me that way, I think that's dope. But, like, you know, if you can be a Christian and also Donald Trump, then lols. I don't know what the, you know? So either Donald Trump is not a Christian or in the Proud Boys aren't Christians or I got to reckon with that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Or is there another way to be? Are we like, can we, I don't know. I'm interested in figuring out if there's a better way to be. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the thing I learned the most was that like, I no longer needed the label of Christian for myself. Mm. Like, I, I, like really it's like if someone says, you're not a Christian, I'm like, all right, what else? okay and if someone says no kevin i really think you are a christian i'm like okay cool mm-hmm. like it just like i wish i think people want me to be more passionate than i am but i'm just very dispassionate about the question <laughs> because like for me it really doesn't matter because it's like is me identifying as a christian going to save more queer people's lives if yes great if not don't care your story is absolutely incredible can you give mm. a tldr version of it the TLDR on my life was grew up, you know, every queer Christian's <laughs> testimony begins with, I've, I grew up in a good Christian home. Most of them. Hashtag not all gay Christians. Um, <laughs> too long didn't read version. Grew up in the church. My mother was the worship leader. My uncle was the pastor. Had a kind of mystical experience at age nine. And people told me to cut it out because it was weird weirding them out. And I thought, oh, okay. And so I just like, you know, had me and like my little secret spiritual experiences that I thought everybody was secretly having, but apparently they weren't. That's cool. Fast forward to age 14, I realized that I'm attracted to Robbie Ludvigston in Art Foundation's class. And it's like, oh no, am I a gay? Turns out, probably. (laughs) Two years later, my dad outs me to my mom and my mom puts me in reparative therapy for 12 years, I tried really hard to be straight. And when I went to college, I went a little wild, as one does when you come from a repressed background. It's like the pendulum swings in the far direction. My parents got a divorce. I went a little crazy, started like, you know, living half in and half out of the closet, really did the double life thing really well. It was very duplicitous. And I really missed God. And I also really needed to like, express that part of myself. It was terrifying and taxing. Fast forward to the end of college, I took five years to finish, got a degree in music, and then I became a missionary because that makes sense. 
And while I was on the mission field, I got really, really uh, depressed to the point of wanting to end my life. I left the field. It didn't make me any happier. After two attempts, I was like, okay, something has got to give. Something's either I'm wrong, and it, there, there might be a different way to look at this, or I got to get down with celibacy and just be okay with that. Mm. And so Googled gay and Christian, took me about... Mm, probably a year and a half before I was really okay. Like tried to date a couple women in between then to really give it the old college try. Um, and when I finally came out in the summer of 2015, I had to leave the mission organization I was working with because you can't be gay and a missionary apparently. And I left there with like no money and no prospects. I lived in a shitty basement apartment with my best friend Casey at the time until I was able to get back on my feet. Came out of the closet, started working for a queer nonprofit on the day that I came out on the internet, and wow. the rest is history. There's so much you you know skip there, but that is what a journey. What yeah. a journey. And here you are. And here we are. And in between then I've, you know, worked for software companies, I've worked for queer nonprofits, I you know, went to school, you know, got fell in love, fell out of love, survived my dad's death, and Got, you know, started practicing yoga really, you know, religiously, no pun intended. (laughs) And here you are. Now you're a seminary grad, too. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Not I. Let me tell you what. It's like Cornelius, right? It's just like, who knew that the Holy Ghost wanted to fall on my ass? I didn't know. (laughs) I did not know. So after all of that, after all of the trauma, after all of the hurt, after all of the harm that you experienced in your story, you still want to follow Jesus. Why? I mean, some people will say it's convenient because it's the spiritual language that I grew up with. It's the religion of like part of my people in some way. Some people would also say just like it's really hard, like, you know, because religion is also quite cultural. Even though I can study the Hindu pantheon to like actually get the understanding of what, how that looks played out in an entire culture over thousands of years, I can't understand that. I didn't grow up there. Not truly. But I think the reason I follow Jesus is because for whatever reason, it makes, I mean, it's the, it's, it makes sense to me. And in whatever way one can have a relationship with somebody who died 2,000 years ago, I feel like I have one, mm. even if that's just in my mind. And if at minimum, the ideas or the teachings of Jesus or the te- or or at least the rumors about Jesus, if at minimum those things inspire us to liberate people and liberate ourselves, then that at minimum is good enough for me. Mm. It causes me to be a better person, I think. It also allows me to work with more people because the people that I'm here to heal are people who speak Jesus language, unfortunately. Not unfortunately, just it is what it is. So it's a modality to work within. So like, like with anything with form, it has pros and cons. There are some, certain things that religion can never scratch the surface of, you know, certain things that Jesus only points us to. And that's the whole thing. You know, when I say that I follow Jesus, it's not that I think Jesus, you know, was the deity. No more than like, you know, I don't think Jesus is God incarnate any more than you or I are mm-hmm. God incarnate. Mm-hmm. I think Jesus is truly our brother. You know, I see Jesus as just, you know, you know, if, you know, we're going to go by the definition of, like, what some people call a guru, he's someone who's down the road already, like, mm-hmm. showing us the light forward. Teachers, 
are people who are at your side processing it with it going with you. So I think like, I think I'm a teacher. That's where I would put myself. I'm here trying to do something here. I don't want to be too far off. That's for other people. But yeah, I follow Jesus because I want to. That's really kind of what it boils down to at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Is a, I like the stories of Jesus. I like the mythology. I also like the, you know, the idea that maybe he and Mary Magdalene had something very special. And maybe him and Mary Magdalene and John the Beloved, who knows how far Jesus' love expanded. And technically, if we're going to get down to it, if we all have like a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then Jesus Christ is poly as fuck, dude. Well, speak, speaking of which, I, that really leads into my next question. So I've talked a lot to a lot of queer folks about, you know, it's not just enough to be LGBTQ affirming, but they're actually right. really attempting to queer theology. They're attempting to queer Christianity. So for you, what does it mean to queer theology and how do you do that? Well, I think it would have to be like we want to queer the what is considered the normal theology, right? Mm. Because what again, like what is considered normal is like all the white dudes. And so the white straight cis, you know, white cis hat dudes most of the time. So to queer something is like just to be, in my opinion, is to just expand it. In my opinion, like I think a lot of, you know, certain queer theory would say that queerness would say include everything and exclude nothing. That leads me to this idea from A Course in Miracles where it talks about like the extension of compassion, you know, the Holy Spirit extends and encompasses god extends god's self and encompasses all things and that's what queerness does and like for me when i think about myself and like my gender for example it's like my body is very male my spirit feels very female my expression kind of goes in all these different lovely directions it feels like all of it you know fully you know fully male and fully female like you know like the, the dance between the polarities, the yin and the yang, night and the day, etc. And so I think like queerness kind of just like when we're thinking about queering theology and queering how we look at the Bible, I'm thinking like, how do we just continue to blow this thing up? How do we just continue mm-hmm. to expand outward ever further, ever further? I'm very kind of, I'm kind of like <laughs> the person who says, anytime you try to describe the God, that is what God is not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the epiphatic. Yeah. yeah. If you can even, like, you know, I'm the mystic, you know, the, uh, the mystics would say you can only experience God. And I would say God is the experience as well. Ooh, there's, there's the line. Listen, you want, you want, like, one of my favorite ones I'm working with right now <laughs> is that people have told us our entire life that, um, uh, that God is not a, a religion, it's a relationship. And I was like, God is not about a relationship. God is a reality mm. that you just need to say yes to, baby. It's neither a religion or relationship. It's a reality. Bitch. Oh. There's the title of your next book, Kevin. It's it's something in there. Like <laughs> I'm I'm oh I've got so many ideas that I'm working with right now. Your book, your current book, not the one that you're currently writing, uh, the book that you have published is all about kind of taking these these abstract ideas that have real world implications and for our bodies as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for example, like the reason why bad theology kills is that something abstract like theology really has real implications for how we live and has real implications for how it treats our bodies. So Mm -hmm. on the inverse, though, what I'm curious is what ways have you seen good theology and what Mm. have those good theologies done? Right. 
bad theology, like I, I always define it as any thought about God and humanity that leads us towards suffering in things left done or undone, things said or unsaid, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So conversely, good theology would be anything that, anything that leads us towards connection, anything that leads us back towards joy, peace, you know, the fruit of the spirit, maybe. And that everyone was like, well, how do we, I don't know why happiness is not a measurement of God's presence when just like, what does it say in the Bible? It says in the presence, in God's presence is the fullness of joy. Mm. If you're not feeling the fullness of joy, that is data to respond to. Not saying that you have to be happy all the time or that, you know, mental health and depression aren't real, but it's like, if what you are doing has a direct impact on that, and oftentimes what you are doing does have a direct impact on that, pay attention. So the good theology, I would say, is just like an affirming theology that affirms queer identities and relationships. I've seen people get um, help for drug addiction and finally be able to get sober. I've seen people come into really healthy community and start loving themselves instead of harming themselves. Mm. I have seen people who find friends for the first time in their life when they felt like a fucking outcast. Mm. I've talked to people who said, uh, because, you know, I heard that there was such a thing as a queer Christian, I didn't kill myself. Like, you know, there's a, a group that I love to work with and I support called Beloved Arise, and it's an LGBTQ youth group for queer youth of faith which I think that's kind of a redundant statement now that I said it out loud. <laughs> but they they save lives and they are actively like working on ways to resource kids in really, really rural parts of the country mm. um, who don't have connection, who have non-affirming parents, who have to go to non-affirming churches. These kids are staying alive because of this. That's good. And that's mm. re- like, that's what it comes down to. I'm just like, people like stop killing themselves. What? Mm. What a concept. So that for me is just like, at least, especially in me, like once I started believing that like, I, like my sexuality and my gender was not only good, but it was like, it's on purpose. It was, it was divinely like, I picked this. I actually believe that I picked this. And I'm just like, oh my God, how wonderful that like, you know, God and I got to partner together to create this phenomenal human. And that to me has like led my life led me in a direction where like I am having so much fun and I'm enjoying the experience of being here. And when for so long I wanted to die. Mm-hmm. So like, if that's not, you know, good theology leading to good fruit, like, I don't know what is baby. You need like a, a shirt that says something along the lines of like queer theology saves. Or, mm-hmm. We'll do bad theology kills, queer theology thrills. Hey, there you go. Actually, that's not bad. This is a good idea. Yeah, and you could sell those shirts and profits go to the Beloved Arise. There we go. Got the idea down. Perfect. Life's too short to pander, but still I eulogize. I still try to win you. After I apologize, after I apologize, call it a bluff, call it anything you want, but I know the truth, 
you're too close to question. So, like we mentioned before a couple times, is that you recently graduated from seminary. But you're not just a recent graduate of seminary. You are a lifelong student. What's something that you're learning right now? I'm actually kind of becoming a student of a lot of businessy things. Business communication, and I'm kind of a student of a student of yoga, if I'm being honest. I'm really, like, leaning into yogic practices and understanding... Uh, the body these different ways it's giving me language for stuff that I've always felt for a long time and is also reflected in all all types of different systems that I've been studying so just like I see like it's just like oh yeah there's the trinity there oh this is like holy spirit okay this is so for me like I'm finding all of these beautiful connections through that I'm also um I'm studying Southern Conjure and Mountain Root Work, which is a lovely book by Orion Foxwood. And it's kind of like um, the white people's Appalachian folk magic. Oh. Because like there is a whole realm of really dope practices that like are blended from among poor folks and poor folks and early, early black folks in America and christianity like so it's like oh my god there's all of these different ways of engaging spirit in an actually powerful way using household items as sacraments Mm -hmm. that's really like all conjure work is is Mm -hmm. just creating an experience for our bodies to say yes to what are ways that you've implemented some of that into your own Mm. life i i'm much more i have much more rhythm in my life now so for me like i follow i religiously follow the moon and the lunar calendar and i plan my life i plan my life and my rituals around that about like when i want like you know full moon and new moon it's just like i'm gonna take a bath on those nights and evaluate where am i right now how's your energy where do i need to step back what are the things i said at the beginning of this cycle that i have or have not done yet how do i need to pivot how like i use these things to like check in what like it's 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 so much rest and goodness and so i love it and i uh, i would say like yoga is also like my daily practice yoga and meditation and i also use things like tarot and oracle cards um i don't know why i'm scoffing at myself like i don't actually like it doesn't actually help me because it does like Mm. it's become one of the most integral practices of like learning how to listen to myself and also just like hear spirit a lot more clearly because I, I don't have any conflict in me anymore. Not as much mm-hmm. at least. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, you know, self-care is no longer like this thing that's a supplement. It is the lifestyle now. Right. And I think these ways of like embracing my body and embracing the experience of my body in every aspect, including suffering, has helped immensely. Mm-hmm. I'm also learning a lot uh, about like Buddhist meditation uh, ideology by mm-hmm. reading like Thich Nhat Hanh and mm-hmm. uh, Pema Chodron. I- I'm curious, and it might be very, very obvious, but how is Bad Theology Kills inspiring and liberating theological work? I think it's a really easy moniker to like start. It's an easy moniker and an easy way to just rebuttal to like, hey, you know how I know your theology is shitty? It's because it's killing people. And like, what might theology can't kill people? I'm just like, well, let me show you how your theology is directly linked to this. It's um, And if people don't want to recognize 
uh, or take responsibility for that, then it's like, well, then what does Jesus say? Shake the dust from your feet. What does it say after? What does it say? And what do the epistles? It's like, if you bring a witness towards someone and they don't repent, treat them as a non-believer, which means like you wish them well, you make sure they have everything that they need to be happy. But like, are they a part of your beloved community? I don't know. But it's like, I don't have time to, it, I think it draws the attention to, we have a, like the systemic, it's like the church is like, just like a symptom of a larger systemic problem. And I wanted to draw like the parallel between like what we believe and like but what we believe directly affects how we vote, mm-hmm. how we act in the world, where we invest our money, how we spend our money, who we spend our time with, et cetera, et cetera. I wanted people to see like, and I want people, to, I think that's like, to go back to your thing, the way that I want people to start looking at theology and including theological education is, and this is my practical theology bend coming in, is that if it's, what does it have to do with people's real life? Mm-hmm. You know, if it has nothing to do with people's real life, then why the fuck are we talking about it? Why the fuck are we teaching it? Now, granted, I love the academy. It is so wonderful that, that and we need it in, in some ways to get these incredible theologies, but we need to get these incredible liberating theologies in, like, practically into the hands of everyday people. Mm-hmm. Because, like, us sitting around and, like, we, you, like, you know, I don't know, you and me can, like, geek out all day about, like, process theology and, like, you know, the possibilities thereof. And that's not what the queer kid in Mississippi needs to hear necessarily, you know? Right. It's like, he's like, nah, God loves you. You're fine, kid. God thinks you're dope. Do you want to eat some pizza? (laughs) You're such a youth pastor. Let me tell you what. I love, if, like, there's going to be some part of my life that, like, I can't, like, take me to a youth camp. I would eat that shit up. I would have so much fun. You were absolutely, like, youth camp outdoor ministry material when i was in college i was the orientation leader for an incoming freshman for three summers in a row the people that were doing freshman orientation stuff at my school like they got Mm -hmm. no sleep they were basically running on coffee and probably other substances and i to this day don't understand how a human being could manage to get through that entire week without being burnt out Oh, that's the thing is we were, I think, I mean, it comes from, for me, I think it came from like my over-functioning and how I was actually really trying to run away from myself in many ways. And so it's like, if I do these good things, I will be good and God would love me. And also I won't have to think, if I'm so fucking busy all the time, I'm not going to have to think about how gay I am. And it was just easier that way. Mm -hmm. I can manage my emotions. I tell you, I tell you the truth. I had a planner that was every line every space was filled up with meetings assignments rehearsals and i thought that's what i had to do in order to make my family happy be a good christian man be a good student to be good you know it it was a capitalism theology Mm -hmm. you're only worth what you can produce you're only worth if the the labor that society deems uh, profitable. I think that's one way I hope it liberates us is like, is it really just, I want us to take it just like, what does this look like in somebody's body? And what does it look like in a body that doesn't look like yours? Mm. Doesn't move like yours. Yeah. Because like, I love, I love, 
I think that there's a lot of really well-meaning people who like go to school and get their MDivs and they want to be pastors, but they have like they learn how to preach a sermon, but they don't know how to hold a community. I don't know. I've got I've got a bunch of thoughts and feelings about the church and all that shit. I know, but surprising, right? Me thoughts about the church. I I had no idea that you did. Uh, you should write a book about it. Last question, Kevin. How can listeners get connected to you in your work? If you want to find me, I'm across the internet at thekevingarcia.com on all the social media at thekevingarcia. If you want my book, it's called Bad Theology Kills, Undoing Toxic Belief and Reclaiming Your Spiritual Authority. It's available at badtheologykills.com and across the internet as well. And come hang out with us on Patreon. We're doing really, really cool shit. I'm having a lot of fun over there. And... um Cash app, dollar sign the Kevin Garcia, paypal.me slash the Kevin Garcia, uh, Venmo at the Kevin Garcia. So if you like the show, and also Mason, what's your cash app? People need to tip the girls. I don't even, days. I don't even know what mine is. I don't, <gasps> I've never used it in that way. People, okay. just, I just, I actually, I pay my rent through Venmo and that kind of stuff. So that's the only way I, I, I've ever, or that's the only reason why I've ever used that. Well, this is something I truly believe that we need to start like being in the, the habit of asking. It's just like, hey, if you like the show, Send like you know, don't say that the show changed your life, and then don't actually do like a thank you is great, but this is also labor on Mason's part and on my part. No, like dead ass, like so like these conversations. If it's helping get you liberated, help us liberate us from our debt. Send us a dollar. Send us two dollars. Send us five dollars. Whatever you got. Yeah, especially especially the homeowners. Hello, listen. I got that. You know, I'm really really thankful that like my Patreon support is helping pay my mortgage, like. That's wild. Um, and I'm th- and I'm thankful, but just like also, if you guys want to, I don't want to go get another day job ever again. I don't want to have to work at a farm burger, even though I loved being a restaurant manager. I really did. But it doesn't pay the bills. Anyways, what am I talking about? I'm just telling people where to find me. I'm losing my focus. I'm sorry. I would never expect the Kevin Garcia to not lose their focus. God, it's the truth. I think... Either you've done a really good job of keeping me focused, or I've done a really good job of answering this time. I don't know. Either one. Uh, I think that will that will be up to the listener, I believe. Yeah. Comment <laughs> below. Who do you think really steered the conversation tonight, y'all? <laughs> there you go. Well, Kevin, I think the world of your work. You're a great friend, and uh, I just think you know what, whatever it is that you'll be continuing to do in the world, I, I will absolutely be a champion and supporter of it. Uh, so thank you so much for what you're doing, and I think you're absolutely right about the work that you're hoping to do in the world of taking these really abstract theological ideas and being able to translate them to be able to put them in a way that makes sense to the everyday person and that's exactly the heart mm. of a people's theology so i love the vision that you have because i think it's really similar to the oh. kind of work i'm up to so thank you so much for being on the podcast thank you for having me i love you so much bye how many times can i say i miss you before it starts to If you would like to connect with Kevin and Alabama Deathwalk and their work, you can find links in the episode description. Thank you again for listening to another episode of A People's Theology. If you liked what you heard, please give the podcast a five-star rating and review. Also, please support the podcast at my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Mason Menega. And remember, friends, go and be the theology to the world that inspires, 
and liberates. Hey.